everyone. Welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Gabriela Ariana Campoverde, but you can call me Gabby. Today we have Jimmy Chen, CEO of Propel, a software company dedicated to helping low-income Americans improve their financial health. Propel's mobile app provides supplemental nutrition assistance program for SNAP benefit users with the ability to check their benefit balance. This was only previously available over a 1-800 number. In this episode, we will learn more about Propel's app, which today has more than 5 million active users, how they will become the one-stop shop for Americans to manage government benefits and other income side by side, the ways in which they stood by their users during the pandemic, and all about the company's culture. This is a very special episode for me. Propel was the first fintech company I learned about that served working class immigrant communities like the one that I grew up with in Queens, New York. I began to think about what wealth creation would look like for this market if there were finally more Propels in the world. Well, enough about me. I know we're both itching for this episode, so let's get started. Hi, Jimmy. It's so great to have you on the show today. Where are you calling in from? Hey, Gabby, thank you so much for having me here today. I'm calling you from my apartment in Brooklyn. Awesome. And how's Brooklyn doing nowadays? Brooklyn's doing great. New York City is resilient as always. I'm also a New Yorker, so always rooting for New York coming back to life. But I, again, really appreciate your time. And why don't you kick us off by starting to talk about more about the problems that Propel is trying to solve? Sure. So Propel is a fintech that aims to build software for low-income Americans. We started the company back in 2014 with this idea that we could take safety net services like the food stamp program, which is officially known as SNAP, and build software that would make it easier to use. So my personal background and what led to start Propel is that I grew up in a loving and supportive family that also had its share of financial challenges was fortunate to go to college on a financial needs scholarship, and then ended up working at a number of tech companies in Silicon Valley. In 2014, I had this idea that I wanted to use the playbook and the tools of Silicon Valley tech to address some of the daily challenges of low-income Americans. I felt that people in Silicon Valley could only solve the problems that they understood, and that most people who worked in in tech seemed to understand the challenges of people um, who are higher income, who are college grads, who had a lot of disposable income and had sort of a, a specific set of financial challenges that they were trying to focus on. So I moved to Brooklyn in 2014 to do a fellowship at the Robin Hood Foundation called Blue Ridge Labs. And that program was really focused on understanding the needs and the lived experiences of low-income Americans so that we could prototype new software that would address some of those challenges. It's really through that program that I started to learn more about the food stamp program, officially known as SNAP, which is used by about 42 million Americans across the country each month. SNAP provides a debit card called an EBT card that the benefits are distributed on. And EBT cards can only be spent at grocery stores on unprepared food. So I spent a lot of time talking to people who used EBT cards about what their experience was like and how they interacted with the tool. And I found sort of a financial services tool that sort of was a strange little corner of fintech because it was government services, but also financial services serving a demographic that is commonly overlooked by fintech. One of the quirks about the EBT card is that 
If you have an EBT card and you want to check your balance to know how much money you have left on the EBT card, most people call a 1-800 number on the back of the card. So in the early days of the company, I naively asked, you know, why isn't there a mobile banking app for the EBT card the way that there is for every modern credit card or debit card? There's a free app you can download to see your balance and your transaction history. Why doesn't that exist for the EBT card, which is used by 40 million Americans? And couldn't find a satisfactory answer to that question. So we at Propel built an app that sort of functioned at first like a mobile banking app for the EBT card that uh, was a, a replacement for calling the 1-800 number on the back of the card and that allowed people to check their balance, see their transaction history, get a map of retailers where they could spend their benefits and so on. I started to giggle because you know a lot of folks don't know this about me, but when I was quite young, my father had passed away. My mother became a single mother. And for a while, we had to start using the SNAP benefits. And I grew up in a fairly working class immigrant community. You know, most families were on food stamps. And every time you would go to stop and shop, there would be a long line. And while you were waiting online, you would quickly call the 1-800 number, put your card in, put your pin in. And then by the time you got to the cash register, you knew exactly how much you had to spend. Um, so it's interesting because even working in FinTech, you sometimes you're so used to that type of journey that you don't necessarily think that there, you know, yes, you have an app that could order a cab for you, but something as very basic as this, you don't necessarily question the everyday. That's really interesting. And I know Formerly, you had this product that was Fresh UBT, now provider. You talked a bit about your target market, but can you tell us a bit more about what you learned through this journey of like working specifically on your initial application and more about how those users viewed FinTech and the trust and transparency that perhaps they wanted from a product? We launched Fresh EBT about five years ago, in early 2016, really to address this pain point that we had identified around checking your EBT balance, this very small and contained pain point, but a real one that we had heard from a lot of people as a just sort of that is the daily lived experience of using the SNAP program is going to the grocery store and, as you said, standing in line and calling the 1-800 number and navigating that phone tree. And we thought that if we could add a little bit of convenience and make that experience more modern and respectful, that that would be something that people would truly value. Over the years, that has proved not to be true. So we now have more than 5 million people who use the app each month on a regular basis to manage their EBT benefits and more. Um, and so the app has really steadily grown to serve a large portion of the American population that gets SNAP. But in talking to our user base, we came to realize that people don't define themselves as SNAP recipients. People don't define themselves as EBT cardholders. People don't define themselves by the government benefits that they receive. People instead think about what those government benefits can allow them to achieve, which in many cases is to put food on the table or to make it through the month every month. When we talked to people who used our app, we realized that actually the vast majority of people thought about their government benefits and their finances as a way to provide for their families while they maintained a sense of pride. In fact, as we kind of learned more about who our users were, we really realized that actually the majority of our users are mothers. About 85% of our users are female, and about 80% have a child under the age of 18 at home. And so as we started thinking more about sort of what we wanted this app to become, we started to think more about our target user, a mother who's receiving SNAP benefits and thinking about what does she really need outside of the SNAP program in order to make it through the month every month. We came to realize that the 
Government benefits programs like SNAP are a part of making it through the month every month, but they're not the entire picture. That people's financial lives are complicated, they're fragmented. For someone who is navigating a lot of different financial challenges because their income is under $40,000 per year, they may not be working full-time. You know, Making it through the month is often an exercise in, in patchwork and making sure that you can make your income exceed your expenses in any given month. And so we wanted to rename the app as sort of a nod to what our users told us was really important to them. So we renamed the app from Fresh EBT to Providers over the summer as a call out to our users is their motivation around the SNAP program around money, which is to provide for their families while maintaining a sense of pride. And in doing so, we've expanded the purview of what the app does. So we started off as really an EBT balance checking tool. We've grown to 5 million people using the app. And we've recently expanded to include a core banking service that allows our users to store money and transact the same way that you would with a neobank or a debit card from some other product is really focused on the financial needs of Americans who make under $40,000 per year. That's amazing. And how did you begin to acquire customers? Initially, I'm sure folks just weren't used to a product like this. And especially now as you begin to expand your product lines and also delve even deeper into the wallets of those customers, how are you gaining their trust and how are you thinking about messaging to to your target audience? Well, in the early days of the company, we did a lot of scrappy stuff to get our first handful of people using the product. There's a lot of like, I spent time at grocery stores handing out flyers with this premise that like people in grocery stores wanted to check their EBT balance. So we wanted to catch people while they were trying to check their balance. Um, I had previously worked at Facebook and in my time working at Facebook, all employees got a free ad credit. So you got $250 per month to spend on any ad you wanted to. And most employees didn't spend their ad credit. And so in the early days of Propel, I called up uh, nine or 10 of my friends who are still working at Facebook and asked them to donate their ad credit to me so that I could run ads on Facebook to be able to target our first cohort of users. You know, that was sort of the way that we got it off the ground. The way that the app has grown to the scale that it is now really is driven by organic growth and word of mouth. So about two-thirds of our users found the app because they've heard about it from a family member or friend, or they searched for EBT app or something like that on the internet and found us. We think that's an indication that we are solving the problems that people have if they're willing to refer us to a family member or a friend. And to your point about trust, that's really, I think, for us, the core of it is you know we can only earn trust if we are solving the problems that people tell us about and that we have to make good on that promise day in and day out to be able to maintain trust. This is a demographic that I think rightfully so doesn't trust a lot of financial services. The financial services largely has taken advantage of low-income Americans, whether it's through a deceptive fee structure or products that don't say they don't quite work the way that they're supposed to. Many of the consumers that we interact with have a healthy distrust of government and financial services. And so for us to be you know, the platform that helps low-income Americans to get back on their feet, that helps people to make it through the month every month, we need to have people trust that we have their best interests at heart. And there is no shortcut. Right? The only playbook that we have for that is to make good on our promises to our users day in and day out. Um, we've been building the company for seven and a half years now and believe that the long-term play and long-term investment here is to continue to be the best partner we possibly can to our users to be able to achieve our mission. I respect the hustle, Jimmy. <laughs> Love how you were able to get all of those Facebook ad credits. And how is your user base today? And what interesting insights have you seen or like what trends are changing for like your demographic in the past five years? 
Well, you know, our user base has grown quite a bit in the last five years, but it's remained fairly consistently focused on parents, on people under the age of 35, on people who in many ways are sort of the, the snapshot of poverty in the United States today. So yes, there's a lot of people who live in cities, but also across the full range of suburban and rural environments as well, that half our users are under the age of 35, but that there's also, you know, there are people of, of all ages who use the app, which is consistent with sort of the way that poverty looks in the United States. You know, uh, one thing that has changed for us over the past year and a half, of course, is the pandemic. And the pandemic has had a major impact on on Americans who are already kind of financially fragile, that for a lot of our users, something like 85% of our users, they lost their jobs as a result of the pandemic, that most of their jobs are not things that could be shifted to work from home. And so for people that used our app and were already receiving SNAP benefits, the pandemic has been an incredible, unprecedented sorts of hardship. And so we've seen our user base grow during that time, largely driven by the macro trends of there are more people who need help from safety net services. We've also seen the demographics of our app users slowly shift a little bit, right? We have more people who are first-time users of the safety net. We have more folks who were previously employed for a long, continuous period of time who've lost their jobs and sort of aren't using safety net services like SNAP to make ends meet. I think to us that it paints a picture of America's social safety net actually working the way that it's largely supposed to which is that we pay in to this taxpayer-funded safety net so that it can be there when crises happen, so that people have money to pay for food. And the reality is the average tenure on the SNAP program is 12 months. The average person who goes on SNAP leaves in about 12 months. And he suggests sort of the, the safety net working in roughly the way that it's supposed to of helping people to make ends meet in a difficult time so that they can ultimately try to get back on their feet. Yeah. And just for our users, it's like I remember you had mentioned that the number of SNAP recipients went up from 37 million to 42 million in just 2020 alone. So it's really interesting to think about like what you had mentioned, it's like folks who it was their first time really experiencing that type of income range or government benefit. And I'm sure like they were also in search of different tools and had new expectations, especially as we're we're all banking via apps nowadays, robo-advisors, and some sort of wealth management platform or personal finance platform is typically something that you have on your phone. And do you mind talking a bit more about how providers became a benefit hub during this time? Because I know your team worked on not only ensuring that folks had the regular application that they were used to, but also gained greater insights on additional assistance. Totally. We have come to realize that one of the biggest sources of engagement in our app is the desire to reduce uncertainty. That for a family that's using safety net services like SNAP, but also other safety net services focused on low-income Americans, one of the biggest sources of financial stress is just uncertainty. When is my next benefit going to arrive? How much is it going to be? How do I get this benefit that I've heard about, but I'm not totally sure how it works? And so we really tried to respond to that over the course of the pandemic by building a benefits hub that intends to reduce some of that uncertainty by providing individualized information to our users about what things they qualify for, how they can sign up for those things, and how their benefits are changing on a regular basis. So because of a lot of the COVID relief bills, there have been changes to SNAP and EBT fairly consistently over the last year and a half. There have been things like the pandemic EBT program for children who are at home instead of going to school. There have been increases in benefit amounts 
There's recently a permanent 15% increase to SNAP benefits across the country. So there's a lot of changes that have happened to SNAP recently. And unfortunately, there are not a lot of other centralized communications channels for that. So if you are somebody who gets SNAP benefits and there is a change that happens to your SNAP program, it's pretty difficult for your state government or for the federal government to tell you that that change is, is going to happen. And so at Propel, the Providers app is really now the single best source of communicating information about how programs are changing in real time to people who are receiving those programs. And so we really see the value of the Benefits Hub as an ongoing feature is helping to reduce uncertainty about what's changing with regards to safety net services. That for low-income Americans, these policy-driven changes to government benefits compose a really big part of their financial life. And that we want to be a place where people come to reduce their financial stress, not add to it. And one of the ways that we can do that is by helping them just understand what's happening and providing them some calm. Yeah, amazing. And what were some initial reactions that you've had from your users for like, these offerings, right? It's like you have this new benefits hub throughout this time, but as you had mentioned, you are also gaining some share of their wallet at this point. And I imagine for folks where they may be in a more rural area, don't have as much access to ATM as someone living in New York City would, they just have very different experiences. Do you have any interesting feedback or insights that you'd want to share? Yeah. As we've launched a banking product and slowly kind of morphed our app from just managing EBT benefits to managing government benefits plus money, you know, one of the value propositions that's really resonated with our user base is this idea of seeing everything I have in one place, that financial lives of low-income Americans are highly fragmented and fragmented in ways that are different than the financial lives of middle to high-income Americans might be fragmented, right? So for someone who's lower income, This idea of managing your public sector resources, things like government benefits around the food stamp program or the child tax credit or housing and rental assistance, because of the ways that those are administered, they are fundamentally siloed away from the way that you manage your money. And one of the insights that we had is that that increases cognitive load on our user base, that it makes it really difficult to think about how much money can I spend on this grocery shopping trip or can I afford trip to Target next week? And that by bringing all those under one roof, trying to condense those into one app actually has decreased a lot of that financial stress and a lot of that cognitive strain for our users. And so I think that's consistent with what I said earlier about the benefits hub and about helping people understand what's changing with regards to the program, that there is sort of an ongoing need here that that is true outside of a pandemic as well. That for a low-income family, being able to know exactly how much you have across government benefits and cash in one glance is incredibly valuable. And it's kind of, it is a financial challenge that I think a lot of people who haven't been low income sort of don't quite identify with because this idea of having you know small amounts of assets fragmented across a variety of tools can be a little bit difficult to grasp if you haven't personally dealt with that yourself. Most definitely. And what trends do you, do you really see as becoming promising for your target customer? Right? Like as you mentioned, this is very they have a fragmented view of where their wealth or you know where their income currently lies. And there's typically also the inability to have a stable income. So what else do you see happening either within your company or within the greater fintech industry that you're excited about that you know will benefit your users? Well, I think fintech is over the last five years 
I'm starting to understand more and more of the challenges that Americans with limited income have. I think there are now a variety of fintechs that live paycheck to paycheck. And I think that's incredibly important because it is an underserved market, a segment of Americans that have been ignored by traditional banks and financial institutions for a long time and whose needs haven't been. I think some of those organizations are starting to realize that there are Americans who don't quite fit under the definition of living paycheck to paycheck because they may not be fully employed or they may be in between or they may be working several part-time jobs or doing childcare and working part-time. And that's the way that they're trying to make ends meet. But there are a lot of non-traditional financial lives that a lot of Americans lead and that as more fintechs sort of understand the dynamics of those financial lives that hopefully that they build products around them. Because I think we at Propel, you know, have a very clear sense of the population that we aim to serve, which is Americans who make under $40,000 per year and who receive a government or benefit, but that we can't do it alone, that we think the the fintech industry as a whole um, has an opportunity to step up to meet the needs of low-income Americans. And that while progress has been made, there's a lot more still left. Really great points that you bring out. And I'm curious, you know, even with the 2020, you did so much for your users, but you've also been great advocates for them and would love for you to share a bit more about like the emergency rental assistance and the tax credit work that your team. Yeah, of course. So the emergency rental assistance program was authorized in one of the earlier COVID uh, relief bills, um, and it's intended to be money that helps people stay in their homes to avoid evictions as the moratoriums end. The opportunity here is that as part of the emergency rental assistance program, Americans need to attest to their financial need, and they need to, in some cases, prove their financial need by submitting different types of documentation. In recent guidance from Treasury, it has been kind of stated that people can show their EBT cards or proof that they receive food stamp benefits as one way to validate their financial need. Because that has been a hurdle for a lot of people. It's hard to prove that you're low income, or how do you prove that you're at risk of not being able to pay rent? It's just a difficult thing to prove in many cases. And so the fact that food stamp benefits are accepted as a proxy for that proof, I think is a really big step and a great choice by the administration. The work that we've done around the emergency rental assistance program is now that that is a valid form of proof to receive this rent assistance, that actually the vast majority of our users probably qualify for it. And so we have the opportunity to be one of the country's best distribution channels for low-income Americans to connect with the services that they need, in this case, to stay in their homes. And that as the federal government, state governments, and city governments look to get the money out the door so that renters don't face eviction, that Propel would love to be a partner in that, that we would love to help our users understand that this money is available for them and to apply for that money in as few steps as possible. The advocacy work that we've done around this has largely been helping our users access a variety of tools that the federal government has put out. Uh, Most recently, the CFPB put out a tool that allowed people to find their local emergency rental assistance program and apply to it. So we are very happy to share that with our users and over a million people engaged in that tool. So I think we see this program as an incredibly important one. We certainly hear from our users that staying in their homes and being able to make rent is a key financial stressor and just one of the things that is most top of mind in this stage of the pandemic. Um, And so just an incredibly important program. Um, When it comes to the child tax credit, that's another, you know, just hugely important change to the safety net over the last six months. The child tax credit is a payment that the IRS is making directly to parents with children under the age of 18 
where those parents are now receiving, depending on the age of the child, $250 per child that's over the age of five and under the age of 18, and $300 for every child who's five and under. And that we see this as an incredible opportunity for our users, because as I mentioned before, the vast majority of our users are young parents. That for those young parents, you know, having an extra $300 or an extra $600 per month in cash can make a huge amount of difference in their financial lives. As we've talked to our users around the child tax credit um, and about the impact that it's having for them financially, the biggest pain point that we hear from our users is the deliverability of the credit itself. That at the moment, the benefit is distributed on a monthly basis by the IRS, and that a lot of our users don't have a consistent bank account or prepaid card to get that direct deposited to. So that's where we aim to help through the Providers app, because we offer a free debit account that includes a debit card and a virtual card that allows people to get direct deposit, that we can help people to receive those child tax credit payments in a way that is not going to cost them any money and allows them to access the funds right away. So the child tax credit is an incredibly important change to the safety net for parents in the United States, something that we hope can really continue beyond this year. Yeah, amazing. Um, and one thing that you've spoken about like beforehand is you mentioned that like innovation is most ripe when it's at the intersection of private and public. And you know, I'm curious as you're reflecting back on your time growing Propel and working through Robinhood Accelerator, what were some pain points and how were you able to overcome those? Because I imagine even building the APIs that you would need to get this information, that was all through a government program. How would you even have access to that data? You may potentially face some like roadblocks with the types of entities that you're working with. What are some things that stand out to you and you know, either points of frustration or points where you're like, man, I'm really glad that we were able to achieve that. And it's part of the reason why we are where we are. Yeah. I mean, as you said, I think Propel is kind of a non-traditional fintech in a number of ways. And one of the ways is that we interact so closely with these government services and that a core part of our business is interfacing with government data around the food stamp program and various other government benefit programs, because we think that's an important thing for our user base. It has been one of the single biggest technical challenges that we face in the company is kind of managing the way that our software interacts with these state government systems that allow our users to see their EBT balances and transaction histories. But we think it's incredibly important. We think at at the end of the day, anyone who has an EBT card in the United States should be able to use that card pretty similarly to Americans who use a debit card through a bank or a credit card through a bank, that they should have access to their own data through any means that they like, um, that they should be able to see their balance and transaction history without having to go through a whole lot of hassle. So the technical work that we do to make that happen is, is just one of the more important things that we've invested in over the years at Propel. That changes on a state-by-state basis. So one of the things that's challenging about the food stamp or SNAP program is that it's federally funded, but state administered. And so each state runs their own EBT card and their own SNAP program. That means that we have to integrate at the state level all 50 times in order to make the app available to our users throughout the country. And we think that's really important because we really think that every American who gets SNAP benefits should be able to access their balance in whatever medium they choose. Yes. And Jimmy, I do want to spend some time on your career. You know, you're a Stanford grad and you've worked a lot of at a lot of different companies like LinkedIn and Facebook. And 
what lessons did you take from your career to build Propel? Well, I think there's a few lessons that I would take from my career. One is just that like there are tools that can be agnostic to the problem that you solve. And what I mean by that is building high quality software and the principles involved in building high quality, scalable performance software, that's consistent. Whether you're using that to build the social network or a game or an e-commerce marketplace or an app for parents on food stamps. And that was one of the premises that I took into Propel that actually a lot of the software development processes that we use at companies like Facebook could be applied to address some of the challenges of low-income Americans, that there is a way to build higher quality software that's really well used and that is user-friendly for low-income populations. Um, and so that was sort of one of the starting points, this idea that, that good software is good software. I think another point that I took from my time uh, working at companies like LinkedIn and Facebook is just that people solve the problems that they understand. That those were two companies that were started sort of in the, in the images of the founders, where the founders were trying to solve their own problems by, by starting this company. And that, that can certainly work. It can build a huge business. It can build a very, very broadly used product. But what about people who don't look like the founders of tech companies? Who's starting the companies that solve uh, their needs? Or, or how are those people being represented in all the new innovation and creation that's happening in the tech industry? So that was sort of another key component to the origin story of Propel was this idea that because people solve the problems that they understood, that if I was able to bring some kind of understanding that was different from that of you know, the average Silicon Valley tech startup, that that might actually be a valuable insight that allows us to build a business that looks pretty different from that of the average tech company. I, I completely agree. It, I used to be a former product manager and one thing that I enjoyed about that was you really brought in your own perspective. And that's what I completely agree with like tech and with fintech. We need a lot of different faces and diversity to be able to build these products in order for us to not just build it for hiring not rich yet or young professionals and really get all of Americans involved. And was Propel the first company that you started? Yes. Okay. And how is raising money for a startup targeting Americans who made less than 40000 um, It was really challenging. I approached it pretty naively. Like I said, it's the first time that I've ever worked at a startup. And even though I had lots of advantages, I was a technical male founder who had gone to Stanford and worked at Facebook. I think I ran into the challenge of Propel's business model and just the core demographic that it serves is highly unusual. And it felt highly risky from the point of view of a lot of the investors that I spoke to in the early days of the company to invest in a company in, 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 in you know, what was a self-proclaimed food stamp software company that said that it was going to be worth a billion dollars someday and serve all these Americans and have, this, and have all this impact that I think for a lot of people that was difficult to see in the early days of the company. And so Propel has not always been a rocket ship. It hasn't been a super smooth journey. But you know, we've been really fortunate to find investors who did believe in the vision, who did believe in this idea that we could build a social impact-focused company that was still venture-backable and that still had the financial outcomes and possibilities that were consistent with what with sort of what a traditional VC might be searching for. And while that maybe has taken us a little bit longer, some other companies, you know, I'm I'm really excited about the place we are now with a great set of investors behind us. And just a lot of traction, the ability to really achieve a big chunk of that vision. And make a lot of great points once again. 
I'm also curious as you're reflecting back on that experience and now you recently raised money from injuries in Horowitz, what do you think that says about the market you work in and having that big of a name willing to support you and trying to be part of your success? You know, what do you think that says about one, your company, and then two, the potential to build for different demographics? Yeah, well, I think it also says something about Andreessen Horowitz, that they're willing to be open-minded and that they're willing to take a bet on a company that is a little bit non-traditional, that like is serving a demographic that most people don't really understand. You know, what I would love to do in sort of the long term of the company is to play a small role in, in making it clear to investors and to the financial services industry that you can build a profitable business that serves people who are very low income and you can do it in a non-predatory way. You can do it in a way that has their best interests at heart. Um, and I think the best way for me to do that is for Propel to be an example of a successful business that's able to build a lot of revenue um, and to generate a lot of returns while serving this demographic the way that we would like to. That I think in many ways, the VC community can lack imagination sometimes that they often look for, you know, this company is similar to that one, or what are the comparisons to another company that has already been successful and the challenge for me is that there are basically no comps for a billion-dollar food stamp software company. That doesn't really exist in the market. And so if we're able to be an early player in this space, I would love to make it so that the next aspiring founder who's trying to raise money for a fintech that serves people who are low-income sees their path de-risked a little bit because there have been more examples of companies that have been able to be successful. <laughs> I am also giggling because I'm currently in the finance of acquisition and buyouts and the finance of venture capital innovation here at Warren. So I've been learning a lot about comps and yes, definitely excited for next wave of fintechs that, I would, that are going to be in this space because it's bound to happen. As a first-time founder, I think one thing that is also really important is the ability to build culture and Propel is very mission-driven. I'm curious, how were you able to do that with your team? And as you're expanding, how has that changed? And how would you describe the culture that you and your founding team was able to build? Well, I think the mission-driven part of our team's culture, which is really the core of our culture, has been like a process that has kind of created itself over time that people select companies like Propel because they're excited about our mission and that frankly we don't attract a whole lot of people who don't care about our mission because you know if you're a talented person who could work at a startup or at a larger company why would you choose to work at a company that is building this incredibly challenging business around uh, low income Americans unless you are passionate about that idea and so that's really what we are focused on is is finding people who really care about our mission who care about serving our users in a way that helps them to achieve you know greater financial health and that that's the reason why they come to work every day and why they're excited about the work that we do here. When I think about Propel's culture, aside from that, another key component of Propel's culture really is personal growth. That's reflected in sort of who I am, that when I started the company, I, this is me as a first-time founder, and that while I was not new to building software, I was new to building financial software. And so I had to learn a lot to be someone who could operate in the space. My expectation is that our industry is going to change really frequently. And our product is going to change and the needs of low-income Americans are, are going to keep changing. And as a result, we need to have a team that is nimble and able to learn new skills and new 
new technologies, new products as needed. And so being able to learn and, and sort of to adapt quickly is a key skill. The final skill that I'll talk about as sort of a key part of Propel's culture is being a listener. That one of the challenges that we face as a company is that no one who currently works at Propel is getting food stamp benefits. And that has to be true because of the salaries that we're paying everybody. And so that gives us this kind of unique challenge that no one who works at the company can be a true user of the tool that we are all creating. And so for us to know whether or not our product is actually working for people, the only way that we can find out is by listening. And so we listen to our users through user interviews and research. We listen through the customer service channels that we have, through the, the reviews and ratings that we have on the App Store and the Play Store. We listen to our users in terms of what they tell us through the data of what features they engage with and how they engage. And for us, just being able to listen to our users to understand more about their specific needs and what where we're doing well and where we are not is just such a key part of our culture. Really awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I can't take up too much of your time, but it wouldn't be our podcast without one fun question. And rumor has it that Propel Slack has a dog channel. So wanted to ask you, how many dog pictures are shared per day on this Slack channel? <laughs> <laughs> well, the Slack channel actually recently has been uh, renamed to Dogs, Pets, and Babies. Um, and these days we get almost as many pictures of cats and babies and various other non-employee parts of our team as dogs. In the early days of Propel, our dog-to-employee uh, ratio was like, at one point, we had 10 employees and four dogs, and we had a policy of being a dog-friendly office. And so we had a couple of days where all four people brought in other dogs, and we just had chaos in the office. And so pretty quickly learned that that was not tenable. But I think it is just a reflection that you know we want people to, to be their real selves. We love animals and dogs in particular, and love seeing smiling, happy faces of dogs in Slack. Oh, sounds fun. And again, Joey, thank you and your team, you know, the work that you're doing, it's absolutely fantastic. And now we're all really cheering for you guys, excited for what's next for Propel and the future providers. And again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, If there are any listeners out there who are looking for a role, um, we are hiring across a variety of teams at Propel. You can find our open roles at joinpropel.com slash careers. Awesome. And we'll make sure to include it in um, in our description as well. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks for Have having me. Have a good me. one. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. If you love our show, please write us a review or engage with us on social media. We greatly appreciate your support and helps us spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Medium at Warren Fintech. Here you'll access interviews, articles, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. As always, a very special thank you to our wonderful editor, Rafael Ostria. Until next time, your host, Gabby.